You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good afternoon. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. I am your host, Virgil Ferrix. Today is March 30th, 2019. And we're going to have a very special guest in today. You've probably heard his voice here before. Uh, he was on episode two, Conversation with a Friend. Jay, how's it going? I'm doing awesome. Uh, Virgil, how are you today? Fantastic. Fantastic. Cannot complain. So, you know, uh, Jay and I, not too long ago, I uh, think was the day after opening night of us, we went and we went and saw it with a few friends, and I really enjoyed it, and I uh, think he did as well. But you know, we were talking uh, over sushi about this about the movie, and we're talking about you know the intricate nature of it, you know the message that Jordan was trying to Jordan Peele was trying to send throughout it, and kind of where we see you know our interpretation of it, and then it kind of got into like a at least you know a large discussion about film and significance of film and how symbolism is used in film to represent things that are, you know, universal stories that we've had throughout time and throughout history. But film, you know, at least, you know, before it was oral tradition, but, you know, since film and since, you know, acting and plays and all this stuff, there's been uh, a revival of the story, of of the the idea of a story. So I just wanted to start off with that and kind of get, you know, uh, our interpretation of it and kind of a lowdown of what was really happening. And again, there's going to be massive spoilers. So uh, at the beginning of this, I have to say spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> so, you know, um, most of the people probably listening have heard of us and heard of the movie. But just to give a quick, you know, basic summary of the plot. Uh, a young girl, Adelaide, Tom- Adelaide Thomas, is in Santa Cruz with her parents at the beach. She goes to a um, uh, some type of uh, carnival, uh, right? Would you say it's a carnival? Yeah, it was like a little carnival that they had on the beach. Yes, and- yes, exactly. Carnival at the beach. And I thought that, you know, there was, there was a lot of things they were doing and it seemed like her parents were having a good time and enjoying themselves. But it seemed like she was kind of, you know – Going through the motions and just kind of there, right? She just kind of seemed spaced out. She did. Like, she did kind of seem spaced out. And, um, at, at one point of that, that part, she had some, for some reason, uh, something drove her to walk towards the beach itself, right? And at that beach, there was some type of, you know, fun house, uh, hall of mirrors type of situation. 
and you know she felt like she needed to enter the hall of mirrors so it was I, what i found interesting because you know something that I, the reason why i want to talk about this film is cuz I, I feel like there was such a, a lot of psychological significance within the film that you know i think it was worth talking about but you know i found it interesting because that room that little place it said find yourself i thought that whole concept was awesome because when she gets to the uh you know the carnival or whatever yes. right you can yes. clearly see her parents' dynamic and kind of the relationship that mm-hmm. she had back home, right? Her dad uh, seems like he's trying, he's working hard, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. when he gets to let loose, you kind of see some of that other side of the dad, right? Yeah, exactly. And the mom is is really trying to support him and be there for the family. Yes. Um, but she just, just from her persona that was in the movie, it doesn't seem like she was strong enough to carry it over the dad's, Yes. Um, you know, his, his, his personality, right? Yeah, exactly. And so you see kind of the daughter... She walks into that funhouse and it says, find yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Find yourself. Mm-hmm. So it kind of is almost like she doesn't want to follow in the footsteps of her parents. Yes. She's looking for herself. And yes. she walks into the house of mirror and, uh, well, yeah, she right? kind of finds herself. She does. <laughs> and that's and that in the part in the, the beginning of the movie, you know, that happens and she ends up whistling inside there. And then all of a sudden the light shut down and the place closes, right? And then she's continuing to walk, whistling a little bit here and there. And then all of a sudden, she hears a whistle back. Somebody's whistling back at her. And then she keeps walking and walking. And, you know, the interesting thing is all those mirrors are kind of distorting the way she looks and everything until she sees, you know, her doppelganger. And that's an exact image. It's like it's a perfect exact image. And then boom, from there, the movie kind of takes off. And we're we're in you know a few we go on a roller coaster after that it's crazy it's crazy yes (laughs) the present day and Adelaide's and her family are going to the beach house in Santa Cruz with her husband and her two kids and you know basically from there um, you know they they have she's remembering her traumatic experience from from childhood they end up going to the beach which she doesn't want to go there with uh, the family friends. Uh, the guy, uh, Tim Heidecker from uh, Tim and Eric, <laughs> which I found it hilarious that he was in that movie. And he, had, he did a great job. Um, and then from there, you know, uh, her son Jason in the movie kind of disappears, kind of similar to what happens to her. And, you know, and she freaks out and everything and she finds him at the end of the day. But, you know, things from there start to get a little weirder and they go back to the house, right? And, and uh, what do you think about uh, the next uh, scene when they're at the house and then uh, another family starts to show up. Oh, my God. That <laughs> took my breath away. I, watching yeah. the movie, <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting there standing up yelling at the, <laughs> yes. at the screen like, I no, run. Yes. Yes. Nope, <laughs> nope. I mean, that that whole scene, because the thing is like, he said, Dad? And he's like, yeah, so there's another family in our driveway. And he, he goes out there trying to be nice about it and everything. <laughs> and he realizes that, you know, they're not listening. So he comes back with a baseball bat and, like, tries to deepen his voice. <laughs> he does a great job. with his chest. <laughs> yeah, with his chest, exactly. His chest is out. And, you know, then he realizes that, you know, these people are walking all over the place. They're moving. The big dude's coming. They had to go back in the house. Yeah. And then, so, you know, they're trying to take care of it. Lo and behold, the bat gets in the other dude's hands. They end up struggling. And then at a certain point, they enter the house they get the whole family in, they put them on the couch, and then the other family shows up, and it happens to be the exact same people, except they're a little bit different. Now, this is where this is where the movie starts getting really interesting because this is where I feel like the symbolism at that point just comes in and comes in hard. Yes. For one reason. Number one, 
your own worst enemy, the people that are holding you hostage are yourself. So I think that has something to say in a sense of, you know, sometimes we can we can hold our own selves hostage and stop ourselves from getting to the next level. But also put we can also put ourselves in dire and horrible situations and be at the whim of our own, you know, devices. Okay, how much of the movie are we going to spoil here? Because I don't want Jordan Peele coming after us later <laughs> talking about we just gave the whole thing away. Well, I think you know I think we I think we can give the whole thing away. Okay, so the tethered. That's yes. what the the name of this group. other family yes. is, or the other group yes. of people, people are, right? Like the exact bo- copies, yes. exact copies. They're called tethered. Yes, yes, they are. They're tethered to actual people. Yes, because they were created. Yes, they're not real people. They're, they're clones. They're clones. Yes, exactly. And um, just watching that unfold, right? Mm-hmm. Just kind of seeing how the real personalities, yes, interact with their tethered counterparts. Very right? Fascinating. Uh, obviously, um, the tethered, and we haven't talked about this yet, but the tethered. Uh, were clones. They were made in a government experiment yes. for control, population exactly. control, right? They started with exactly. cute little rabbits. Yep. You know, maybe the experiment started off as some innocent project yep. to make yep. new life or something like yes. that. But once they started making humans, yes. they realized that the human clones didn't have a soul. Yes. And now you see this other family yes. popping up at the house. Yep. They have no souls. They're trying to mm-hmm. interact with their real counterparts yes but they're having trouble really communicating yes what it is they're after and exactly. you kind of see that throughout the entire movie that mm-hmm. no one's the tethered at least mm-hmm. they're not communicating with their voices but Red their is. actions speak for themselves yes exactly the, the main the, the main uh, antagonist red who is adelaide's um tethered uh supposedly is the only one that can speak and out of all of them, and for for a very specific reason that we'll we'll get into in a minute, Ooh. but something that I find interesting because the 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 way of looking at it, because you can look at it from, and this is what I was talking to our buddies about it. Looking at the plot logically is good, and I think you know the la- the first two halves were amazing of the film. I think they were fantastic. The last third half, I mean, third, last third act, excuse me, half. Last third act, yeah, <laughs> hilarious, right? Last third of the Hockey movie. Game. <laughs> right? The last third of it, um, there was a lot of exposition and tie-in, and I think the exposition and tie-in got there because, it, because when they asked Jordan Peele, what is the movie about? He's like, it's about... And he said uh, in the in the article I read, I read, uh, your own you can be your own your biggest own worst enemy, right? Something to that effect. You can yeah. be your worst enemy, yeah. mm-hmm. and you know, I th- and that that got me on the whole symbolism thing, because I I, I understand I understand the the connection and all that stuff, and I, I I've heard you know a bunch of other theories about you know it being uh, you know some an allegory towards you know. Uh, the plight of poor people in the country, an allegory towards um, uh, immigrants, marginalized I've heard, groups, marginalized groups. I've I've definitely heard this, and I think that's I think that's there, I think that's there. But I also I the the, the thing that I have t- I've come to kind of think about more and more about this is okay. So the whole idea of like a doppelganger is you know look like a double of you, but isn't really you and people kind of concern it with like an evil twin, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of was the effect for the movie in a lot of ways. I mean, these people were not necessarily good. They killed they killed one another. And a, a very, very fascinating thing here. They're, they're called the tethered. Yes. Right? But 
they end up their main weapons to kill people is scissors. <laughs> now, how do you untether something? Cutting it with a knife, you know, it's not a really clean cut because it'll come out, you know, kind of bad. But you use scissors, that action, that's how you untether yourself from something. So I thought there was a lot of symbolism by using scissors. Yeah. Because that's how you untether. And 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 it was it was kind of beautiful the way they explained a lot of that stuff. Scissors is a double-sided knife almost, right? Well, exactly. It's perfect. Well, the thing is, it's it's a double-sided knife, but with, with one screw putting them together. So to connect the scissors, exactly. it literally it is connected. tethered to Yes, okay. tethered to one Ooh, another. Yeah. See what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's, it's, there's so much things here. And the scissors also represent 11 because you, two of them you know, make 11. And 11-11 is used a lot in the film. And you can talk about numerology for a second, but honestly, you know, Jeremiah eleven eleven is where they, you know, uh, was was pretty clear that's where it was going to. Yeah. And I don't have the quote in front of me, but I'll get it in a second. That a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that was talked about there was saying that basically the effect of um, that people, will, you know, would be punished. Something, something to that effect. I have to. Gonna, the the voices are going to cry out. Yes, and they're not going to be heard. Not going to be heard. And as a result, bad things are going to happen. The bad judgment of God's going to come down. God's going to come down. Exactly. So, the thing that made me so interested about this, she's like, "We are your shadows." She said that word, and you know, when you when you it's something that, sometimes the symbolism is pretty heavy. And prior in the show, I talked about you know the shadow self and. How, you know, shadow is like, you know, something Carl Jung talked about originally in his whole understanding of archetypes and archetypal, you know, re- representation throughout stories and myths. Um, but I think the archetype of the shadow is essentially what's going on here, at least in my opinion, primarily because the shadow and, th- and think about it here, the tethered live underground. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the and so basically, the shadow is your repressed self that you bury. So that's a representation. Where do you put the shadow? You put it deep underground where no one can find. Okay. So I think that's and the thing is the barrier right there in the escalator that only goes down. It's not going up. Right. So that that to me symbolizes that. You know, there's only one way to deal with the shadow and it's actually, you know, they can come up and everything and the shadow can kind of interact with you. But you really have to go to the shadow's domain to actually defeat the shadow. Yeah. And the thing is, and a really important thing about the movie that kind of, I think, ties it in is, you know, Nietzsche's quote about be careful those who fight monsters. You could become a monster yourself. Right. And that's a very, very important quote, I think, for, and especially for this movie. At the end of the movie, right, you know, she, uh, Adelaide, uh, kills her tethered and then goes off in an ambulance with her family and then has a recalling and a remem- remembrance that in that funhouse, in that place, she actually did see her tethered and that the tethered actually knocked out the real Adelaide, brought her back down and switched bodies with her. And actually went back up and lived a normal lived the normal life. Now that, that's the biggest spoiler of the movie. That's right the biggest that spoiler. The whole of the thing movie. on that, that flips the whole thing. That's a, that's the second twist. Yeah. Right now that second twist, it, it can either make it to me it can break the script or make the script because it showed one thing. It showed that number one, Adelaide can be. Um, it shows that the whole thing that the people down below right. Okay. 
it shows that even if they come up, they can assimilate and become normal people. Well, that takes me back to a quote in the movie, right? Yes, Because please. I think it was Adelaide or yes. Red, which Red, was her yes. tether. Red, yes. And Red saying, we, don't, we were made without souls, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the movie, you find out that she, Red switches places with Adelaide. So, but why, would Red, why would Red even say that? See, that, see the thing is – go ahead. So, so it's almost like, mm. well, she started off with the soul, but being trapped down there mm. in hell or, yeah. or with the other shadows, yeah. whatever you want to call that space, yeah. she lost her soul. So that, that almost makes you question, mm. what is a soul? Like what? Ah, that's actually really good. Now, that actually helps, that actually helps my, my interpretation a little bit. Okay. You kind of helped me out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Because I think what that symbolizes is sometimes when you confront the most negative, nasty aspects of your personality— and the most and that's what she's doing yes. she's going to the fun house originally exactly. right talking about find her parents yourself and herself yes but what happened it. when she tried to find herself she she, she wasn't able to she wasn't able to actually integrate exactly. with herself yeah. so the shadow took over so that to me symbolizes that sometimes when you deal with the negative aspects of your personality the negative aspects of your of your own self um that sometimes if you do not go into it with a willingness to accept, because even even Red said we could have you could have brought us up, you could have done this, could have done that. All this stuff here and there is honestly, in my opinion, it makes. See, the thing is, like a lot of this can kind of be confusing because that twist at the end. Yeah, but the twist I think is good because it shows that the shadow and and the you know the, un, the tethered and the normal people are actually the same. They're us because she was able to come up and have a normal life and have a kids and be a good mom and care for them they're and us. be loving. They're us. So it shows shows two things. It shows number one that there's no difference between them. So it kind of it kind of evaporates the whole we were we were born without souls thing. Because if you could come up, what is a soul, right? And yeah. I think the aspect of that right there, that whole point. I think what it's trying to say is when you are in a bad negative you know place whether it's a physical location or a mental location that you end up losing your soul losing pieces of your soul and eventually you become soulless until you're able to take that stuff look into it and kind of integrate it i like that another thing that i saw from that was the take where uh, i think one of the characters says who are you mm-hmm. and the tethered responds we're American, right? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of eliminates, you know, the thought that somebody that's different or, or somebody that you might be scared of, somebody that you don't know, and all that all that different from you when you think about it, right? You've just been exposed to different things. You might know something different and they might know something different as well, but you see, they're not all that different. And I like that that quote right there. Yeah. Who are you? We're Americans. Just like you. Exactly. And I, I think – See when I when I heard that, what I took from that thing is that that was that was the big social message right there. Yeah, and I, this is what I think the social message is because I think there is a deep social message. Message, yeah, message. <laughs> so I don't know if I can if I can tie it in with the uh, class aspect of of the film that some people are seeing, but what I'm seeing when she says we are Americans, I think that symbolizes that Americans out there today in the world, right? are allowing the negative, nasty aspects of their personality to rule them yeah. and to run them. And, you know, it's it's a symbolism that America right now is being, you know, everybody in America is being replaced by their shadow. Do you ever see 
or, or do you see the connection? Because um, I, I might see this just a little bit here. Yes, where, go ahead. Where we're being force fed and spoon fed so much material at the same yes. time, and and as we begin to see it, we, we begin to integrate it, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And as we integrate it, partially we're losing part of ourselves mm-hmm. in an attempt to match what we're being fed, right? The celebrity yes. culture, the, yes. the fashion culture, yes. the um, different jokes and stuff that you see online. Exactly. You start incorporating exactly. that to yourself, and exactly. You know, you still want to have some space for your own creativity, your own identity. Yep. But if you consume too much media, if you consume too much, mm-hmm. then you're only going to spit back out what you hear. You're only going to spit mm-hmm. back out what you see. And that's exactly. literally how you see Adelaide or Red, whichever yeah. one it yeah, is that's yeah. living with the family. Exactly. That's how you see her start to develop her own personality. Yes. Through just interacting, interacting with other things with and then learning people. how to be creative, learning yes. how to speak. She says at one point, I don't speak so good. Uh-huh. And it's like, what? You, what you mean you don't speak so good? Everybody, you've been talking the whole movie. Yeah. Well, why doesn't she speak so good? Well, maybe she just hasn't integrated that other part of herself mm-hmm. that she needs exactly in order to, to fully to express that. herself. And I, see, and I think that that's another really good point because they, the parents go see a psychologist when she's really young and they ask, well, how can we get my daughter back? You know, the mom's crying and she's like, well, you know, encourage her. Support and that was like I thought that was a really good message for parents in that movie right there. <laughs> Encourage her, support her at creative side. Um, let her dance. You know, I think that that's real. Yeah, think and that was like a really good thing because like it showed that you know she was traumatized, but it showed like she came out to be a pretty okay person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that was a good message for parents in the sense of like, hey. Maybe just maybe encouragement might help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because so little today, people encourage. Uh, I don't find that much encouragement. I don't hear people talking about being encouraged. So, and, sp- and specifically for younger people, I find that to be like the main thing that allows them to kind of go in life feeling like, "Hey, I got people on my side." Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So I thought like that there also showed like the strength of her parents to kind of. Work on that and make that happen. Even for not even necessarily for children, just for yes. people in, in general. general right? Yes. If, I agree. Yes. If you feel yeah. stuck or if you feel like lost, uh huh. What are you creating? Yeah. What are you working on what to get those that, that brain juices flowing? Yes. You know what yes. I mean? What are you doing literally to to put stuff back into the world? Because if you're not putting stuff back out, if you're not living out your dreams, mm-hmm. then a little bit of you is dying. Because what you're saying is that hey, that idea is not worth it. I don't need to pursue it. Exactly. And, go I, after something and I think that's kind of where you can kind of grab the class aspect of this. Yeah. And I think you can kind of grab the idea of the plight of poor people. And the plight of poor people is that they're just like us, but they don't have access to the world that the people above ground do. Thus, they cannot live their lives out. They just end up, you know, um, what's the word? End up uh, acting out certain things that people do up you know, up in the surface level. Yeah. So it's 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 almost speaking to that these people down there are trying to find some type of connection, some type of happiness. And the only way they can do it is emulating the people up there. Yeah. Because what they're doing in the basement is is literally – because they're tethered. <laughs> yes. They're, they're doing the same mm-hmm. actions as their counterpart. Yes. But it's just weird in a way, right? As the counterpart might be eating a steak. They're eating like – The tethers down there eating raw, raw meat. Rabbit. Right? Yeah. Raw rabbit. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> feeding each other raw rabbit. Yeah. While they're on the beach feeding each other french mm, fries. I wonder what that rabbit tastes like. <laughs> probably not that good. <laughs> probably good if you cook it, but probably not that good. But in all honesty, like um, the the message that was there – I think stuck because at the end, when she realized who she was, 
right? She realized that she was actually red or whatever you want to you know call her. Yeah. She looked at her her son and Jason, and what did Jason end up doing? He took his mask. Yeah, that like Chewbacca mask or whatever, and put it down. Love that. Love that. I just wanted him to go <laughs> one time. Yes. Just one time. <laughs> yes, exactly. That would have been perfect. But like right there, that like symbolized, at least to me, that he accept and everybody, the whole family had to do horrible things by the end of the movie. They had to do horrible things and uh stuff that made them feel uncomfortable, scared, nervous, made them feel, you know sick and dirty at, at times but at the end they were okay yeah the thing is i think that symbolized that the family the reason the family survived and you noticed is at the beginning they were scared and they were like you know kind of at the mercy of their of their um tethered yeah but then to the darkness yes exactly but the then shadow they, but then they realized like wait this is me i know me I know what gets me going. I know what will freak me out. Mm. So like when he, when she told her son, show show Pluto, the, the Jason's doppelganger, show him one of your tricks, leaving him in the closet. And as soon as she heard the red heard her kid like screaming and stuff, what did she do? She stopped everything and went and go got the kid. Yeah. That's exactly what the mom did. You know, Adley did earlier on in the movie when exactly. he got stuck in there. Yeah, yeah. So like. The thing is, and this is where this is where this is where it got it got funny and weird for me, is um, it's it's such a it's such a weird thing because all the scene where before that actually before he got trapped in there the scene where they're he's flicking a, a lighter and he's flicking the matches and they're looking at each other with his burnt face and everything that see that was uh, that was a point where you know Jason and his shadow were able to connect. At one point, and okay. then, and you saw even at the point where at the near the end of Pluto's life, where you know Jason saw Pluto and Pluto was coming to you know cause some havoc, mm-hmm. he put his hands up like this and he did the exact same thing, and he walked back, and then Pluto walked back into the fire. So I think what that symbolized to me is that the thing is like you they can't be controlled, but why why did that scene in particular happen? That's one of the scenes I still have questions about. See, I think I th- see, I think yeah. See, <laughs> it's I, still making me think about exactly. That and I think that what happened there is that he was able to somehow connect with his shadow on on such a level to where his, his shadow was able to be integrated. And that death of Pluto was the integration of his shadow. Now, remind me. I think that's those are the two sh- the, the sh- those are the two relationships, right? Yes. Jason and his shadow. Yes. Pluto. Yes. Where I don't think Pluto ever really tries to kill Jason. I know they're they're, no, they're together. Not really, you don't no. really see a scene where you're like, right. You're right. He doesn't actually try to to kill Jay. And the thing is, like, do you think it's because they had that interaction really, really early on? I think I think that might be it. Yeah. And the thing is, their interaction. See, the tether. They all want to kill the people up because they are envious of their life that they had and all this stuff. Yeah. But the moment. You saw that connection between them. It didn't seem like there was anything nefarious there. It seemed like Pluto was actually trying to connect with his uh, tethered Jason or his, uh, you know, his, his real counterpart. So it, it, that was the weird point for me. Is, you think maybe it's because he's younger and it's possible, he hasn't really hasn't had an opportunity of... to really explore who he is and to find himself, right? Yes. So as early as there is, he's finding himself and he's integrating with the shadow. Yes. They have a lot in common. They do. Right? They do. And they're figuring it out. He may not like the guy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, they have a lot in common. They do. 
and they discover it really early on. And it's and it's weird because it's so on the nose, like it's him, but it's him scarred up, yeah, and everything. So it's like it's kind of a representation of like if you mess with this fire, this is going to happen to you. Ooh. You see what I'm saying? It's like this is if you if you continue, you know, because being a pyro, <laughs> you know, this is what can happen <laughs> to you for real. And that happens to people all the time. It happens to young kids all the time. And you know, a thing that. I found great was, you know, Gabe's character, uh, you know, Winston, the actor Winston Duke, he did a fantastic job. Talk about it. I thought, you know, his, the scene on the boat was such a good scene because it started off to being, you know, he was in that bag. This is one of those scenes where I was like, motherfucker, you better <laughs> yeah. run, yes, run. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Go ahead. He was in that, he was in that, he was in the boat, in the bag. And he was in the back sitting there while the guy was getting ready to dump him into the water. His, mm-hmm. his, Abraham, his, his double is getting ready to dump him in the water. And you could see that, you know, at the beginning when he was getting dragged out, he was kind of, he was kind of pathetic. He was kind of like, Oh no, please, please. <laughs> but somewhere in that boat ride, he realized like, I have to fight this one out. Yeah. I got to do this. I'm just not going to go down like this. Yeah. And you know, he saw where the bat was at. He saw everything like this. He got himself out. In the you know the boat stock because it's a kind of a shitty boat, and then he the other you know Abraham looked and he had the bat you know Gabe had the bat in his hands and no- knocked him across the head, but he was able to get his glasses back too, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and the thing is like it's so it's it which that showed even more like the connection of us in the, the title yeah because like Abraham's you know Abraham you know Gabe's doppelganger he was also kind of blind as a bat too he needed them glasses to be able to see <laughs> so. It's even more on the sense that, like, and the thing is, like, what I found interesting was the tethered are not trying a lot of the time to do this quickly. No, it's 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 very it's very it seems uh, uh very planned out and very uh, meant to be slow and cathartic, and it almost seemed like the tethered were trying to uh, absorb as much yeah. of the. Other person's personality as possible, possible before they ended him, right? Gabe You're took right. the glasses. Gabe took the bat. Gabe took the boat, which he yes. which, uh, he liked, which Abraham was really excited yes. about, right? The other way around. Why do you even take that yeah. boat? Uh-huh. That was weird. And the same thing with um, with Josh, Tim Heidecker's uh, character, uh, when he was killed by his by his doppelganger Tex. Mm-hmm. What did Tex do? Tex took his. He put the music on or whatever and took his robe yeah. and started wearing his robe and walking yeah. around the house like he owned it. <laughs> and that to me symbolized that, you know, number one, we're taking over, you know, that the family's gone, but we're taking over. But it also symbolized to me the point in the film where the point in the film where the, you see the tether to have more than just an objective of killing yeah. the other people. Mm-hmm. It's actually becoming them. Yeah. It's actually, you know, taking, like you said, taking in the aspects of their personality, being kind of douchey and walking around with your robe and all this stuff. That's a perfect tie-in for the Hands Across America uh-huh. uh, theme throughout mm-hmm. the movie, right? It uh-huh. goes back to the 80s. Yep. Was it v- Ronald Reagan or? I, I, I think around that time, those I, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. those good guys? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so Hands Across America, I think, was in 86. And approximately, I think, 6.5 million people held hands in a human chain for 15 minutes across uh, – million people million people did this in 1986. I can't get three people to come over for game night. How the hell do they organize that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 
But apparently they raised like $34 million okay. and all this stuff. And some people say they, they raised like 15 But they were able to do it on many different areas and from New York. Uh, there's, they have a map online. You can even look it up. Okay. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, protested it and all this stuff. But essentially the whole idea was that, you know – Many of the participants would donate ten dollars to reserve their place in line. The proceeds were donated to local local charities to fight hunger and homelessness and to help those in poverty. Yeah. So, and the thing is, what I found to be interesting about that is the whole message of holding hands. What does that symbolize? Unity. Yeah. Love. Mm-hmm. Res- uh, mutual respect. But it also symbolizes a common understanding of our humanity. And the Tethered did a great job of organizing it with that connectivity, right? Yes. It almost seems like they saw that campaign. It's like, well, that didn't really do too much. Yeah. Let's give it a try. Yes. Let's see if we can do this better. Exactly. And they executed. Exactly. They executed. They, they, definitely, the they did execute it too. That's for sure. But, you know, and this, this kind of goes into a larger discussion of – a larger discussion of film in general because, you know, I loved the film and I, I think that most film and are tr- is trying to send you symbolic messages mm-hmm. but also at the same time have a literal story that you can enjoy and have a good time with. So like for instance, one of my favorite films, The Dark Knight, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of The Dark Knight. Christopher Nolan. He's, a, he's an amazing director. And something that he, he did so good is that, you know, and something that Heath Ledger did so good is that the the moment, the, the scene where they're having the interrogation, right? You realize. Jail scene with Joker and. Yes, and Batman. Batman. Okay. You realize that they're essentially two sides of the same coin. And the coin, sim, the symbolizing of the coin in the movie as Harvey Dent's coin, yeah. symbolizes Harvey Dent, his, two, his double-sided personality. Okay. But it also symbolizes Batman and Joker because both are extremely intelligent. Both are good at manipulation. Both are good at setting a plan together. Mm -hmm. And both are extremely dedicated towards what they're doing. And, you know, I think Joker had the line, what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force? And it's the exact same thing. Both of those things are, are the exact same. They both negate each other. They cancel each other. So that's why I think, you know, in that movie, the Joker was – the symbolic nature of the Joker was um, was a good symbolism for Batman's shadow. And he continuously tried to get Batman to come to his level. Yeah. Continuously try to bring him down to his shadow. And the thing is, like, Batman deals with his shadow – you know, he, he, he is a shadow because, you know, he, yeah, I am the knight. <laughs> he, he deals, he deals in that, in that realm because he, he, he brings in the scary aspect and negative, negative side of his personality, but he doesn't go all the way. And what the Joker was trying to symbolize is like, you are, you are not, you are half measured. What you do is half measured and you don't, you're not good enough to get this job done. Yeah. And what, 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 and, and really, the whole idea behind that film is Batman is all for order, all for keeping order in Gotham. And the Joker is all for what? Complete and total anarchy and chaos. And at times when you look at ourselves and look at the aspects of our personality, I feel like. Okay. A big part of us wants order, 
stability, understanding in our life. But that's no fun. See, exactly. <laughs> See, exactly. It's only fun for a little bit. And the yeah. thing is like the chaos and the the craziness and the wild nature of our personality – that is always contending with the the part of a personality that's trying to keep order, trying to keep things under control. Logic and emotion. Yes, or... exactly. Yin and yang. These things are always at battle with each other. And I think that's why films like Us, films like The Dark Knight are so – they people like them so much because they get you thinking about that internal struggle. And Us, much more, much more on, you know, on a on – a, you know, on a deeper note because it's actually them. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's on the nose, but it's not on the nose. That's what I think Jordan Peele is so good is because he was able to take that, that essential, um, see, I feel like he had a, yeah, he had the story in a symbolic, metaphorical aspect. He was like, how am I going to tie this to reality? Right. And then he he came up with the rest of the stuff. Okay. Because I think that's how a lot of creatives would go through about things. I don't know his creative process, but hearing him his first reaction, what's the film about? It's about how you can be your own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Hearing that, like that's like that's like that's a symbolic message in there because that's not what the film's about. <laughs> you know, because if he's saying that, that's not really what the film's about. Right. Right. But that's on the most basic level. Right? Yeah, I think that I think that's the foundation that he that he he put the film on and then build upon it. Yeah. And I think a lot of other people like for instance, Interstellar, right? Mm. Another Christopher Nolan movie. Right. That movie is a great movie about saving the earth and saving humanity, but that really was a movie about a dad who has to work a lot and doesn't get to see his kids. <laughs> yeah. That's really what that film's about. And honestly, and like and like having to deal with watching your kids grow up and not being in their lives because you're doing something important. Okay. That's yeah. a good take on that movie. Obviously, you see that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I see that. And, and the thing is like it's it, it speaks to a, a, a bigger theme of sacrificing for the ones you love and doing the hardest thing, you know, to, uh, the hardest thing for parents is to leave their kids for long periods of time and having to go work. Yeah. So – you could see where, and I think that kind of speaks to Nolan and his whole paradigm with you know working so hard and not being able to see his younger kids. You know, I think that kind of speaks to uh, the thing is like creatives they find a way to to tell their truth. You know, they find a way to speak speak their their message through their through their art. And I think you know Jordan Peele with uh, with us, and uh, I've seen a little bit of uh, um. His other film, uh, thinking, Get Out, or? Get Out, yes, yeah, okay. Seen a little bit of. I I saw it too late at night, and I ended up sleeping. <laughs> to be frank, <laughs> okay. but I heard it's a fantastic movie, and I need to finish it. But it seems that he there's a deeper. He likes he likes that deep symbolism, yes, but also likes having a story. See, that's why I think he chose to do Twilight Zone. Yeah, is because us to me is a giant Twilight Zone Ooh, episode. Tell me about it. It really is. <laughs> like that whole movie is a giant Twilight Zone episode. And like, you know, the twists are authentic and they're like, they have that, like, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Yes. That same thing that Twilight Zone does. <laughs> and now that he's kind of doing that, I feel like this is what we're going to see, be seeing from him. I hope so. I really do. I really actually really enjoyed the fact that it's not a black horror film. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? In yeah, the yeah, sense yeah, yeah, that yeah. Get Out is. Yes. It's, it's, yes. It has a lot of racial ties. Yes. It has a lot of uh, social cultural yes. connections. Yes. This has those same elements. 
but it's not a the, the the blackness of the people involved is not the central question, right? Okay, it, yeah. It, yeah, 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 yeah. They're Americans, it's right? The humanity, it's that's humanity. A, it's a question, exactly. yeah. And I, I just love that yes. fact that you know he could he he took the time to show that yo. You know, this is really happening to everybody. This can happen to you too, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're black, brown, exactly. white. Exactly. That's why that, that whole. That's why that whole Josh's whole family. Yeah. Was so featured so heavily. I thought was number one. It showed you know friendship and awesome you know connectivity and all this stuff. But it also showed that you know. But it also showed a few other things. Okay. And I think this is really interesting about that family. That family was just, every every single one of them was just consumed with themselves. Absolutely. So you could already see that the shadow is kind of overbearing and kind of taking over them already. Uh-huh. They didn't even need the tether to come to their house and kill them at the end they of the did movie. They the job for themselves, No, right? <laughs> exactly. And I think what that kind of symbolized and, you know, showing that you can be your own worst enemy in that case because you can be the guy who is kind of a uh, – kind of, you know, nasty to your kids and doesn't really care about them and drink all the time and kind of pay attention to your wife and be that guy. Like that guy is just an example of like that's – Probably not what you want to be when you get older. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of a dad, the, 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 the foil uh, between that character and, and Gabe's character is pretty interesting. Because yes, because yes, Gabe's character is just he's become the dad. Yeah, you know, you could see he was this cool dude at one time. He was, you know, he was pretty chill, but like he he's on dad mode. You know, he's making dad <laughs> jokes, and it, it was playing I, his dad music exactly. But it's super authentic. Yeah, it it doesn't feel, and that's another thing with film is a lot of times a lot of filmmakers will. Try to make something feel authentic, but it comes off feeling artificial. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with uh, with us and you know a couple of the films out there, when they allow their their actors to really become the character, mm-hmm. that's when you start seeing the gold happen. That's where you start seeing like a really good performance, like uh, Lupita's performance in this movie. Oh I thought was God. fantastic, and she was able to do two major pl- major roles. So and the thing is, they're the same person, but they're so different. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I thought is I thought was so fascinating was she was able to take that character, you know, and then do another character. But at the end of the movie, they ended up being the same person because regardless of what happened early, you know, at the end of when she was a child or whatever, and you know she was switched. Regardless of that, they did become pretty violent and pretty. Uh, able to deal with situations like that. Yeah. Yeah. They they were so they were kind of reluctant or hesitant. Yes. At the at the end they were defend themselves. Yes. At the end they were able to defend themselves and they were able to, you know, take charge of their lives and then go forward and look for a better pasture. You know, that's kind of what that symbolized at the end. They're driving away and she's driving. So she's, you know, she's in control. And she is at that point realizing that and I think the reason she smiled at her son was I think she he also realized that too. I think so. Yeah, you know. And then at the end, you know, he accepted that, and then she realized that they accept her for who she is. Yeah. And the thing is, like, that's another important message that you know sometimes we might not appreciate or like the negative aspects of ourselves, but you know, if we can learn to control them and learn to integrate them, that other people will notice that and kind of respect that. Sure. And realize like, wow, you have a handle on that. You know, I think that kind of shows that. Another thing is. She has a really deep connection with her son. Yeah. She loves her daughter too. But something about her son I think speaks to her because I think her son to her represents her as a child. He's kind of going through the same stuff. You can kind of see some of those similarities there. He was drawn to the to the to the to that same area. Yeah. 
he and he saw the dude you know who who was the first guy with his hand out to be in the hands for America. You know, at the beginning when he saw that dude with the hands bleeding. That guy was a little early. He kind of jumped the gun. He kind of he, he did kind of jump the gun. That is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get but you know, he was right there and he's ready to go. And, and and the thing is, um, something that I that I like about this movie in particular. But other film, and I, I like about the Twilight Zone in general, and I'm happy he's reviving that, is those movies are alleg- – and those types of TV shows are allegorical in nature insofar as they represent – you know, um, they represent our life you know, in such a metaphorical way you know, because so it's, it, it's a literary device. But it, it's delivering a broader message about real world issues and occurrences without having to deal with those real world issues and occurrences within the film. Right. So for instance, if this movie is about how you you can be your own worst enemy, I'm sure Jordan Peele could have done a great job or great, you know, doing a documentary on you know, people who have struggled with addiction and struggled with other things and that he could have he could have went a more literal Way of of uh, with his art could have still called it us and it, it, it yes still apply right it could have definitely still apply yeah but you know to to go in there and use an allegorical way of giving this through this through the through the story it allows us to kind of have this moment where we we can we're in the movie ourselves too and that's another thing that a lot of good movies do is they they have this. They have this um, this shift, and the shift I feel like I think it's called uh, the actic shift is like when you're in a movie and you see a main character doing something, and then you relate so heavily with the main character that you kind of imagine yourself as the main character. Okay. So for me, as a kid, Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker, that stuff was like Rocky you know, Balboa. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That you 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 kind of shifted your own persona with the character on screen. Okay. So, and the thing is, I think that's really important, and film has a good job of doing that, good film especially, because it puts you in a place where you can relate to the character, their issues and their problems, but the only reason you can relate to them is because there is something common between what their mythical or crazy problems are dealing with and how that kind of relates to our own lives. Yeah. And I think that's what that's what causes for good film and good Good stuff like that. At least that's where what I would say. What do you think about film in general as a as a as a as a device to deliver us a a more broader, important message? I think it's always important for us to be reminded that what we're dealing with isn't so specific to us that mm-hmm. we get frozen and overwhelmed, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, at the, in the in the grand scheme of things. We're all going through the same things. We're all yeah. seeking for emotional attachment. Yep. We all want to be able to enjoy our lives every single day, I right? Agree. We want to be I able agree. to have the possessions to to make ourselves comfortable, mm-hmm. right? We all need to be reminded of the need for courage. Yes, yes. Uh, the need to love. Yes. Uh, to overcome fear, yeah, right? And so when you see a director and a group of actors get together and, and, and put together a movie that captures that, yeah. You see yourself there. You do. And I love it. And I think I think the reason you see yourself in those types of films and those types of movies and you kind of see the ones around you is because it they do such a good job convincing you that these people are real. Yeah. They do such a good job convincing – like another movie that 
some people don't necessarily like uh, because of the way it was filmed or some people don't like the story. But Cloverfield, the original Cloverfield. Oh, boy. That movie, I think we saw that in theaters in 2008 or whatever, nine, seven, whatever it was. I think I fell asleep. You saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, the reason that movie I thought was effective was because by the end of the movie, you felt like you were another one of the people in the group. Right. You felt and you felt connected to the actual people when the people were kind of, you know, dropping dead or getting eaten by a monster or whatever. You felt like, oh, my God, we just lost someone in the group. You know, so and the thing is, part of that is a perspective. You know, the 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 point of view perspective. Yeah. But another part of it is the actors did a good job. You know, relaying the information, just enough information for you to care about them. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a story about someone you know who was dating somebody and things didn't turn out good, and then he was about to leave to Japan, mm-hmm. and then you know last second they tried to meet up with each other, you know, to say goodbye, form a love. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, this horrible thing happens. <laughs> you know, and the thing—the horrible thing happens—is is mystical and weird and crazy. But like, the relationship be anything, but the, in real life, yes. Right? But the rela- the relation the the relationship aspect is what is what people understood and people kind of were able to connect to the movie. Is that the people in the movie seemed compelling and seemed real? Yeah. So, if if film has the ability to do that. I, that's why I think it's so it's so effective at telling stories. Like reading books is so good. I love. I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. Okay. Right. Yeah. But those movies are, in my opinion, some of the best film out there. Primarily because they do a good job retelling a lot of the story that was written down. And I give Peter Jackson good credit, big credit for Lord of the Rings. Not so much for The Hobbit, but for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I've got to be honest. Hey, got to be honest. But prequels. Yeah. Not, not, not big fan. But. <laughs> If you know in those movies, those moments and those and those uh, those points, and Tolkien was really good in this, but Tolkien hated allegory. Tolkien like talk said like I, I hate books and and things that are written for the effect to send a deeper message. But like no, uh, he did that in such a way and fashion that the, the the way that the story was told in Lord of the Rings. It sent a deeper message about us as people, us the the concept of power. So the One Ring, yeah. the One Ring represents the most you know the most powerful object in the world. But it's this big; it's so tiny. Mm-hmm. But it has the power to destroy nations, to destroy the world. Man. And you know, to me, it, it, it could be in the way the way it affects you. You know, some people could look at the deeper meaning, and the deeper meaning of the way it affects you is a is a is a uh, Talking about ultimate power corrupts. Ultimate power corrupts, but also it ta- I think some people have taken the meaning to say, well, the One Ring represents some type of addiction, addiction to morphine, addiction to heroin, and stuff like this. Okay, that you know you call it your precious, you treat it so carefully, you protect it. So some people have gotten that from it, and okay. you know, you know, Tolkien would not have not have approved of that because you know he hated <laughs> allegory and hated all these messages. But you know, essentially, film sends you a message about our real life. Mm-hmm. They try to con- and the film film builds upon all the stories we've told ourselves throughout history. So, I I I believe that you know if film can continue to be you know memorable and, and send messages, that it can really help a culture, help a society, because there's a lot of catharsis in th- with with film. Yeah, but there's also a lot of realization. So. Some movies in the past, so Lion King, and I recently watched the the animated movie uh, a few months ago, and the message it sends about finding yourself, you know, connections and relationships with the people, you know, reconnecting with people you've lost in the past, whether it's 
uh, a person that's on earth or a person that's not on earth, you know, those messages, you know, going back to your roots and finding yourself, those messages that were put throughout Lion King is a message that every child growing up yeah. probably needs. Okay. You know what I mean? And the thing is, like, they realize that that message is something universal. Human beings have told this message throughout their whole time. The underdog, the hero story, you know, Rocky, the hero, the underdog story, you know, Simba is basically the hero's journey from, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell. The idea that, you know, you have to go through and suffer and then eventually you can take your pl- rightful place as the king of, you know. The kingdom, right the, rock. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. So that that representation is like a, that bigger story is a story for all of us because we're all trying to become better. Yeah. We're all trying to we, – we all, we all do suffer. That's a part of life. It's part of being a human. But what we're also trying to do is come to the top and be the best. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the last and final word today, good sir. What do you think – and I'm going to ask you just a quick question before we uh, head out. What do you think and where do you, where do you see art and particularly film? Because I feel like Jordan Peele's movies have done a great job sending a bigger message, a message that people need to hear and understand. Mm -hmm. I also feel like, you know, Nolan has done that pretty good. See, I see my eyes. I feel art can really connect us as individuals, whether we agree or disagree on stuff. Sure. Yeah. That's why art's so beautiful. Where do you feel like the future of art is going to be? Is it going to continue to be in film? Because I think, you know, even some video games have done a really good job telling story and trying to connect with people. So do you feel like movies will be the primary way that artists will deliver a message that will connect to our common humanity? Or do you think it will evolve to something else? Well, I'd, obviously I'd love to see more – connecting stories on Instagram yes. or social yes. media sites okay. and on yeah. the internet. Yeah. But I don't think the movies are ever going to go away. I agree. You know, we, we watch those old black and white. Yes. No noise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just yes. that old yeah. organ in the background. Yeah. And they're not saying anything. Exactly. And people are, take, people are able to take so much from those movies in and uh-huh. of itself. And as we've watched film develop from there, it's only gotten better. It's only, we've only been able to act out more scenarios mm-hmm. we've been able to reach back and, and discuss more history mm-hmm. and incorporate it into our real lives Especially and hopefully with, learn from with it all the technology we have today yeah realizing a vision of a film is yeah. so much easier than yeah. it was in the past i personally yes i'm a big you know animation head yes and i've watched you know tons of cartoons in yes, my life right i can't i i just hope that just you know maybe for me and, yes. and for people like me yes. that, that stories are continued to be told through those those animated films and through yes. through anime through cartoons yes. right because you take something like SpongeBob right or you yes. take something like some of those Nickelodeon shows yes. Yes. and yes. while yes. very on the face they're for kids they're they're yeah. doing dumb stuff right. Mm-hmm. They've got some serious messages in those yes, shows, right? Like when lot. you think back to like Rugrats and stuff like yeah, that, like man. there's bullying in Rugrats. Yeah. They're taking candy like drugs sometimes. Yeah. Yes. You know, they're Very, <laughs> there's a lot of funny and they're weird breaking things. out of jail or yeah, like their little pig pen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's there's a lot of symbolism behind this stuff. And I think, you know, a lot of those people, what they do is they'll create a story for kids, but realize that parents are probably gonna be sitting right there next to them. Yeah, and kind of want to appeal to both people, <laughs> keep the parents and kids both watching. <laughs> yeah. So I think you know, like you said, a lot of a lot of animated stuff has done a good job doing that. Mm-hmm. I feel like movies haven't done as good a job doing that. We, should, we need some better directors. I don't know. I you or know, not I, better directors, just different stories. I think different stories, but I think you know, some directors need to take more of a risk, and and not Us, sell popcorn. Yeah. 
Usk is a us is a risk. <laughs> yeah. Usk is a risky, risky movie. Yeah. Because it's so it's a it's really conceptual, but there's you know it, it ties it in, and there's a big twist, and a lot of people can't. A lot of people don't like being tricked. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to sell a, a action movie. Right? Yeah. It's harder to make you think. That's why I was yeah. talking about popcorn salesman, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's easy to fill the theaters up and sell popcorn. Exactly, big explosion, put someone someone very famous and uh, noticeable on the screen, you're good to go. But You could put Mark Wahlberg up there all day. I'll watch that. Of course, of course. Mark, very, very talented man. <laughs> very talented. Good producer too. Yeah. But he knows, he knows what he's doing. Um, but in all, in all honesty, film tends to um, make us – feel and connect on a different level like i said because it represents a symbolic a symbolic replaying of our own lives a okay. symbolic replaying of of the world that we live in today so i think if people continue to to watch film and appreciate film i think people just you know some some advice maybe some advice give at the end is you know look at film and try not to be a critic as soon as you watch the film I would say a few hours after the film, start criticizing it. Like, you know, how was the lighting? All this other crap that people want to do. My first and always intention of going into any film is like, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to have fun. Yeah. And if a movie's not fun, I can't do much about that. But I'm not going to go in here and say, this is going to be the best script ever. I know how it's going to be. You know, a lot of people, when they are hyping up films, like, I know what the script's going to be. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. And they go and see the movie. It's not the script in their head. It's the script that they thought it would be. So it, it doesn't really round out and make things better. Right. So my first advice is go into a film knowing that this is a piece of art you're engaging in, but also know that have fun. What would you say to end it off in terms of advice for people to go when they go and experience art, particularly film? What way should you see this? I think you should have fun, but also look at it more symbolically. But go ahead. Just like anything else you go into, you need to go open with open eyes and open ears, right? Mm-hmm, just be mm-hmm. receptive to what you're seeing. From there, you know, obviously you're going to have your own opinions. Those yes. are going to form. But you don't want to ever just be so consumed in your own opinion that you refuse to see, <laughs> yeah. you know, somebody else's opinion. Or I refuse agree. to acknowledge somebody else's oh, yeah. perspective. Because when you do that, that just closes you off to all type of learning, to all type of people and – you kind of get locked in, right? And, and, and it doesn't doesn't lead to conversations like this where we start theory crafting and talking about great stuff and the significance of a film and how film makes us and you know uh, more engaging and you know better off people because yeah. it it really helps us connect to aspects of our of our soul of our personality that we either like or love or we hate. talked about it earlier. There are movies that will stick with you forever. I just want like me and all my friends to pull an Ocean's Thirteen. <laughs> put a sick plan together make a million bucks and just go off to Cancun yeah, and, yeah. and live the rest of our lives in sunshine yeah man banana boats on that I say <laughs> thank you for coming in Jay I mean, I, I'm me, so man. happy you came in today we talked about this thank you listeners for listening I hope you go and see us highly recommended and please take film more seriously enjoy it have fun have a good day take care mm-hmm.